Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. We're continuing now our series on the scriptures, trembling before the word. And um, uh, today we're going to talk about what I think is one of the most difficult issues that we face when we get to the scriptures, particularly when we talk to others about the Bible. Here's one of the, the problems that seem to come before us as believers in the Bible. There are just so many interpretations of the scriptures. It's very easy to kind of despair at ever being able to know what exactly it means. You talk to any Christian from any different denomination and you will find out that he or she might have a very different understanding of what the Bible teaches. Many Christians are discouraged by the fact that there are so many denominations. Even within denominations, there are differences of interpretation. And of course, we know that there are various cults that have uh, arisen as a result of aberrant and distorted understandings of the Bible. And so sometimes it seems like the only thing that's really certain about the Bible is how uncertain its basic teachings are. We see so many interpretations. What do we do with this? Well, um, you might remember a few weeks ago we talked about the clarity of Scripture. That was one of the topics in this series that we have been talking about. And I made the case that the Scriptures are fundamentally clear in the basic message of the Gospel on how to live as a Christian. This sermon is related to that, um, but not the same thing. We're not looking at the nature of Scripture as being clear, today we're thinking about what do we do as Christians to understand the clarity of the Scriptures? Are, are there um, rules, are there guidelines that we should be following for how we interpret Scripture in order to understand its basic meaning? There's a guy named Charles Wesley, some of you maybe have heard of. He wrote the great hymn, And Can It Be? The brother of John Wesley lived in the 1700s. Shortly after Charles Wesley was converted, he began to practice something called consulting the oracle. And what he would do is just allow his Bible to fall open on his desk and to whatever page it happened to fall open, Wesley would just look at the first phrase that he saw and he would take that as God's way of indicating um, a particular direction that he should take in life or a particular answer to a theological question that, that Wesley had. That was how he interpreted the Bible. Uh, maybe you've heard of others who have done that. You just kind of randomly take your finger, put it down on the page, and whatever verse it uh, comes up with, you take that as somehow God's direction to you. Um, is that a legitimate way to interpret the Bible? My answer to that is No. <laughs> It's not a legitimate way, and in fact, Wesley, thank God, abandoned that practice after just a couple of years as uh, a Christian. But again, it raises this question, are there good and bad ways to interpret the Scriptures? And <clears throat> the answer is, is yes, there are. And so that's what we're going to talk about here. I want to try to give some practical instruction to you, some directions to you uh, for how you should read the Bible in order to interpret it responsibly. And so we get some direction here from 2 Timothy 2. Uh, this is the very last letter that Paul wrote. This is written by Paul, the same guy who wrote Romans, which we just got through studying. Uh, this was written shortly before Paul's death. 
And uh, Paul here in this letter is giving exhortations to a guy named Timothy, who's a, a young pastor and leader in the church. And so, uh, again, just a couple verses here, verses 14 and 15 that I'm going to read. So why don't we stand for the reading of God's Word? Uh, Paul has uh, given to us here in verses 11 through 13 a a creed, like a confession of faith that had been recited in the church for some time. And then in verse 14, he picks up, referring to that creed, and he says to Timothy, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. And here's the verse we'll be focusing on. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help me to interpret this passage well, uh, as this passage commands us to do. Uh, Do that by your spirit and encourage us as your people to know your word well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So how can um, we interpret the the word well? Well, here we have this direct command in verse 15 from Paul, and um, we're gonna be looking throughout the rest of scripture to kinda pick up some implications of this particular passage, but uh, for a moment, let's just look here and see what Paul is saying here, he's giving us um, the direction to rightly handle the word of truth. That's the command, rightly handle the word of truth. And of course, the implication is this, if there is a right way to handle truth, there must be a wrong way to handle truth. It is possible to, to get it wrong. This might be contrary to what some people think about the Bible, as if we can just look at it and just kinda um, you know, get out of it whatever we want. But what Paul says is there's a right way and there's a wrong way to do it. You might know from uh, the Gospels how Jesus would sometimes talk to the Pharisees and he'd say, Pharisees, haven't you read the Old Testament? Um, You don't understand what you're reading. You are wrong, Jesus would say to the Pharisees with regard to Bible interpretation. Um, A passage we saw last week, 2 Peter 3, Peter writes about those people who would read Paul's letters and the unstable ones would twist them to their own destruction. So here Paul is challenging those who mishandle the letters of Paul, distort them and uh, misapply them. And what Paul is telling us here is that our responsibility as Christians is to do our best, start of verse 15, that is to be zealous, that's what the Greek word there actually says, be zealous, do your utmost, to present yourself to God, the one whose approval we're looking for in Bible interpretation is not the opinions of others or our culture or academics, but God, we wanna interpret the Bible in a way that is pleasing to God and we wanna do it as one approved, as a worker, a worker. The implication there is if we're gonna understand the Bible well, if we're gonna handle the scriptures well, we have to work at it. Uh, This is not something that happens by just dropping the Bible open and seeing what page it falls open to. A guy named A.W. Pink said this, no verse of scripture reveals itself to lazy people. 
And sometimes we just don't want to do the work, and that can result in a number of misinterpretations of the scriptures. So you see verse 15 pretty clear. We're going to have to work at this. We're going to have to be zealous, keeping in mind there's a right and a wrong way to do this. Our responsibility ultimately is to God to handle well the word of truth. So what, what I want to do is just give you some guidelines. I've got six. So yeah, last week I had four points. This week I have six. Who knows what will happen next week. Uh, things are getting out of control here, but I got six rules, guidelines um, for you as we seek to interpret the scriptures well. Now, we could give many more than this. I mean, this topic that I'm talking about would be enough for a semester-long class in a seminary, so we're just getting to the tip of the iceberg here. But I think uh, these six are ones that I've chosen that, that you might find helpful. So the first one is this. <clears throat> Read the Bible not for what it should say, but for what it does say. <laughs> um, we all have a number of biases that we bring to the Bible. All of us, no matter where you are theologically, you all have bias. I have my own biases. The temptation is to read the Bible to seek to find what we want it to say rather than to just submit to what it does say. There's a great temptation, particularly as we develop various theological convictions, to bring our convictions down upon the passage to try to make it fit what we have already decided we want it to believe. Whether it be Calvinism and Arminianism, whether it be baptism, whether it be charismatic gifts, whether it be ethical issues like racial injustice issues or abortion or homosexuality, it's very tempting to kind of get in our heads certain things that we want the Bible to say and then we read it hoping it says that. That's a bad way to interpret the Scriptures. We're seeking to find out what is there first and foremost. In the past, this was a very common rule of interpretation. That is that you should always seek to know first and foremost what the author of the letter intended. Authorial intent, it's called. And there's different authors of different books in the Bible. Paul wrote Second Timothy. We know Peter wrote some letters. John wrote some letters. Moses, Jeremiah, they all wrote different letters. As a Bible interpreter, your first responsibility is try to figure out what the author meant. Now, that is somewhat controversial actually today because we're told in um, the academy that that's actually impossible to do. We can't really get to what the author meant. There's too much time has passed, too much culture has kind of gotten uh, in the way, and we can't know what the author really meant. It's like one scholar says, the birth of the reader has led to the death of the author. And what they mean is the birth of the reader, that is the person reading the text, giving preeminence to the reader, and the reader's interpretation of the Bible has meant the death of the author. That is, what the author really meant is irrelevant. And all that matters is what the reader wants the passage to mean. Well, we, we, re, we reject that. Uh, we believe it is possible to find out what the authors meant. We might not be able to understand uh, everything exhaustively, but that doesn't mean we can't understand a good portion of what they intended truly. Now, you might think, well, I don't do that. 
But, you know, sometimes I hear this kind of come up, and you'll hear Christians talk about this when they read the Bible. And maybe I'm reading too much into this, and they don't mean all that I think they mean, but sometimes, very often, here's what people will say. They'll read the Bible, and they say, here's what this means to me. Here's what I, here's what I feel this means. What is that? The implication there is, Here's what this means to me. This, this, is, this is what my feelings are telling me that this text means. Well, if the way you feel, if what you feel the text means is out of line with what the author intended it to mean, then your feelings about it are largely irrelevant. Or sometimes you'll have a debate that might take place between two people over some issue and somebody says something about what the Bible means and then someone will say, well, that's just your opinion. Well, okay, but if that person's opinion is in line with what the author of the letter intended, it's more than just an opinion. He or she is saying something that is in line with what the author of the letter intended. And that's very important for us to try to figure out. So how do we do that? Well, there are a number of things to consider. Um, the historical context, what was going on in history at the time, what was the culture like at the time that Paul wrote? You know, Paul wrote at a different time than Moses wrote. They wrote out of very different situations. It helps to understand something about those cultural situations. The date in which the letter was written, the answer or the questions that were seeking to be answered um, the, um, the, the themes that kind of come up in a writer's letters. These are helpful things to consider. You might think, how do I know those things? Let me recommend to you the ESV Study Bible. I mean, I use that regularly, and I would highly recommend that to you. It's like a little mini seminary education in, in one great big book. ESV Study Bible. You read through the scripture and there's a number of notes that help you understand all these things and go a long way in helping us to understand the intent of the author. So that's very important. John Calvin just sums it up like this. It is the first business of an interpreter to let the author say what he does say instead of attributing to him what we think he ought to say. All right? Second thing, read less clear passages in light of more clear passages. The, another way to say this is Scripture interprets Scripture. We, we never interpret one passage of Scripture to be in conflict with another passage of Scripture. If you see two passages that seem to be contradicting each other, the problem is not with the Scripture. The problem is with our interpretation. And the reason why we believe that is because we believe that all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture. It all comes from God. Different human writers wrote different letters, but the one behind all of Scripture is God. And if all of these books in the Bible came from one ultimate source, that would suggest that there is no way for these uh, various letters to contradict each other. Because ultimately they're coming from one perfect, wise, and truthful mind. The mind of God. So, if we find contradictions or difficulties, um, what that means is that we should search the rest of Scripture to find out what other passages say about the problem passage. So here's the way our confession sums it up. Uh, very simply, the infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture is the Scripture's itself, the Scripture itself, 
And my eyes are getting so awful. Probably be better if I did it this way. The infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture is the Scripture itself, and therefore, when there is a question about the true and full sense of any Scripture, it must be searched and known by other places that speak more clearly. So, for example, uh, you know the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. And uh, <clears throat> Abel presented an offering to God, and it was accepted. Cain came along, presented an offering to God, and it wasn't accepted. And if you just stick with that text, you might think, what's going on? God is being arbitrary here in discriminating against Cain because God didn't receive his offering. It seems kind of confusing. It seems perplexing until you go to Hebrews 11. And Hebrews 11 clears it up for us. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Ah, okay, I see. That clears it up. That helps. Scripture has interpreted Scripture. Hebrews 11 helps to interpret Genesis 4. And so there are many other examples we could go into, but always allow other passages of Scripture to clarify the difficulties that we have with problem passages. Third rule, read the Bible in community. If you want to obey 2 Timothy 2.15 and handle rightly the word of truth, don't do it on your own. If you want to ensure the probability that you will abuse and twist Scripture, then yeah, do it on your own. Do it privately. Don't listen to anybody. Just come up with your own ideas and separate yourself from the body of Christ. It's a sure way to become a cult leader. <laughs> Interpret the Bible in, in community. You, you we just saw these people who joined this church. One of the things these people did is they said we're coming under the oversight of elders and pastors. Not that elders and pastors have all the answers, but elders and pastors are put in their positions to help you understand the Bible well. This is what life groups are for. We have life groups so that you can get together and you can examine what is said from the pulpit in light of Scripture, and so you can listen to one another and hear one another. This is why we have Sunday school here at 9 a.m., so that you can receive instruction from a trained teacher. And it's not just the content of the teaching or the preaching, but what you also get to see is the way the text of Scripture is handled, and that gives instruction about how to properly interpret the Bible. You see an example of that in Nehemiah 8. Do you remember that passage where the exiles have just returned to Jerusalem? Ezra gets out the word, gets out the law. <clears throat> he stands and he... He, he reads the, the passage, and everybody stands up, and, and he reads from morning to noon. It's like four or five hours of reading the Word. And it says a little later in that passage that the Levites then came alongside the people who were listening, and it, it says this. It says this. They helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and these Levites gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. I mean, we have this great privilege since the Reformation to own private Bibles. We talked about that on Reformation Sunday. We have the right of private interpretation, but here's how Sproul would say it. With the right of private interpretation comes the sober responsibility of accurate interpretation. Private interpretation gives no license to interpret gives license to interpret, but not to distort. 
A good way to keep your interpretations in check is to make sure that you're reading in community. Fourth thing, read Bible history in light of Bible teaching. So this is similar to the principle of Scripture interpreting Scripture. Read Bible history in light of Bible teaching. What I mean by that is when we look at the historical books in the Bible, uh, particularly in the Old Testament, people will see lots of kind of odd things going into the Old Testament. I mean, lots of violence there, and there's lots of kind of you know, strange sexual things going on in the Old Testament. Sometimes people read that, and they, and they say, the Bible is just so full of all this immorality, so full of violence, and, and they get turned off, and they don't want to have anything more to do with the Bible because of this content. Well, friends, listen, there's a very important distinction to be made between what is described and what is prescribed. The fact that the Bible describes some really nasty things doesn't mean that the Bible is condoning those or prescribing them or recommending them. A big portion of the Bible is historical. It's trying to tell us what actually happened. Just because it tells us what happened doesn't mean it's telling us that we ought to do those things as well. Uh, The example of polygamy comes up a lot. People will point to the Old Testament. David had many wives. Solomon had many wives. See, the Bible supports polygamy. No, no it doesn't. The Bible is just simply describing a situation where men had many wives. We take that historical portion of the Bible and we read it in light of teaching passages which clarify what we should believe about polygamy. So Genesis chapter 2 gives us the foundation of marriage, one man, one woman. Then Jesus repeats this in Matthew 19. He says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So the Bible's teaching tells us that marriage should be between one man and one woman, and that polygamy is not condoned even though it's described in various portions of the scriptures. Uh, same thing like with that, remember that What Would Jesus Do that was really popular years ago, WWJD, and people wore the bracelets. Um, you know, this is gonna sound like I'm being hard on, on, on the WWJD people. I mean, there's nothing really, I think, in principle wrong as long as we understand that, you know what, we're not called to do everything that Jesus did. (laughs) We're not called to walk on water. We're not called to raise the dead. We're not called to go to a cross and die for the sins of many. Maybe it would be better to say, what would Jesus have me do? might be a way to clarify that a little bit, but again, we allow the teaching of Scripture to clarify how we read the historical descriptions in the Bible. All right, number five. And these last two are the most important, by the way. I think you'll, you'll get everything wrong in interpreting the Bible if you miss these last two. And the fifth one is this, read the Bible as the Word of God. you've got to come to the Bible recognizing what it is. It is is the Word of God. It is the means by which God Almighty, the creator of all things, the Lord of the universe, has chosen to speak to you and to me. That's what the Bible is. The Bible is not an ordinary book. I mean, it's ordinary in the sense that it's written with words and sentences and grammar and syntax just like any other book. In that sense, it's ordinary so that we can understand it. 
But in another sense, it's not ordinary. And friends, if you're coming to the Bible, reading it with a mind to judge it, you will never interpret, interpret it properly. We don't come to the Bible judging it. The Bible judges us. We don't come clarifying the Bible. The Bible clarifies us. Here's what Hebrews 4 says. The word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and a spirit of joints of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Bible discerns what's going on in your heart, which means that you need to come to the Bible humbly. You need to come to the Bible saying, God, teach me. God, show me where I'm wrong. Is that how you read the Bible? Willing to be changed? Willing to be corrected? Or do you come to the Bible looking for ways to correct it? I remember when I was in, in seminary, they had um, books that they took off the shelves and they made them for sale and they would sell them for really cheap, like a dollar a piece. And I found this book by uh, J. Gresham Machen, um, maybe many of you haven't heard of him, he's kind of a hero of Presbyterians, I lived in the early 1900s, very well known in Presbyterian circles, I got the book for a dollar. And I take it home and I open it up and it's signed by J. J. Gresham Machen. And I thought, I don't think the librarian knew that the author's signature was in this book. It, it, was, it was put out there like it was an ordinary book for a dollar. But it was not an ordinary book. I still have it in, in my office. And the Bible is not an ordinary book. We wrestle with the words of Scripture, certainly, trying to understand. That's what this whole sermon's about. We wrestle with the words of Scripture, but we never wrestle against the words of Scripture. Are, are you prepared to receive it? Are, will you change? When's the last time you changed your mind on anything after reading the Bible? When's the last time you, the, 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 the thoughts of your heart were judged and changed and challenged by the Bible? I mean, if you can't think of a time when you've ever changed your mind about something the Bible has said, it could be because you're judging it and not letting it judge you. Isaiah 66, very clear, kind of the theme verse of this sermon series. This is the one, God says, to whom I will look. He was humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The one judging the word is not trembling at the word. Read the Bible as the word of God and the last thing is read the Bible to find Jesus. If you don't find Jesus in the pages of scripture, you've missed the whole point. <laughs> the whole point. Remember on the road to Emmaus, Jesus with his disciples and he opens their eyes to understand the scriptures and it says, and then he went back and showed them everything in the Old Testament that spoke of him. The whole Bible about Jesus. Do you remember the story of Philip in Acts 8? He comes up to a chariot and there's an Ethiopian eunuch sitting in the chariot and he's reading a portion of Isaiah. And Philip goes to him and said, do you understand what you're reading? You know, he might as well have said, are you interpreting the scripture well, and the eunuch says, how can I unless somebody helps me? And then it says, Philip then took this passage and it showed him the good news about Jesus. And here's what the eunuch was reading. 
from Isaiah 53. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. (laughs) That's about Jesus. Isaiah wrote that hundreds of years before Jesus came. Philip comes on and says, that's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the one led to the slaughter. Jesus is the one, the Lamb of God who went to the cross. Jesus is the one who didn't open his mouth in defiance of what was happening, but instead went willingly to lay his life down for sinners. That's what Isaiah is about. That's what Genesis is about. That's what the Psalms are about. That's what Malachi is about. And that's the one we're looking for when we read the scriptures. Let me conclude here by just reading from you the, this portion that comes out of the Jesus Storybook Bible. Parents, I, I would highly recommend this book if you're looking for a good way to teach the scriptures and the gospel to your kids. Um, <clears throat> earlier in the book, uh, it says this. I'm just going to read this because I think it's just, it captures very well what I'm trying to say here. Some people think the Bible is a book of rules, telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best, but the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes, showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the ones he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there's a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in the puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly, you can see a beautiful picture. What a great word for interpreting the Bible well. Jesus is the puzzle piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. The preeminent concern for us as we read the Bible is finding in it our Savior. So if we follow these guidelines, does this mean that we're not going to have any more disagreements and there'll be no more uh, denominations and no more perplexing texts? Uh, No, that's not what it means. But... We might have less of those things. And we certainly will find everything we need to know about how to have relationship with our Creator through faith in Christ and how to live a life that is pleasing and glorifying to Him. Um, One thing I haven't mentioned is the role of prayer. Certainly another important part of interpreting the Bible, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to close with a song in which we can uh, sing like a prayer. Open the eyes of my heart. Lord, I want to see you, a a well-stated prayer for us as we read the Bible. So let's stand and uh, get ready to sing this song in closing. Our Father, 
Um, we <clears throat> acknowledge to you, God, that um, we don't always understand your word, and we uh, pray that you'd forgive us for our impatience with it and our indifference to it. Would you please help us to follow this passage well, to be workmen who are zealous to handle rightly the word of truth that you have given us in the scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.